0: Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's performance will include paper cuts, complex hands, and the effort that goes into being effortless as we discuss cut paper with Righteous Robot's own Julian Curry here on Created
1: Things. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Good evening. Good night. It's Created Things, the only podcast proudly sponsored by folding paper, cutting paper, doing things with paper, being essentially paper thin. I'm your host, Dominican priest, medievalist, one of them in training, one of them not. uh, Father Gabriel Toretta. With me is my also host, um, artist, psychotherapist. Guy living in Florida, Jacob Flores Popchick. How you doing?
0: I'm well. I um, You say paper thin. I, I wish that were the case. I feel like I'm decreasingly
1: so. Hey, listen, after the pandemic, everyone has, everyone has complete freedom to just say, like, as far as I can tell forever, oh, well, it was lockdown wait. You know, it's just like, no, I mean, you should have seen me before that before the pandemic. I actually I actually had a, a, a 24 pack, which is like a six pack, but then a whole bunch of them um, and they don't come from drinking beer it has nothing to do with that. Why would you even? How dare you? Anyway, um, so it doesn't really matter. This is the thing. Um, yeah, it does not really matter. It does not really matter. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, also also the baby thing. Having having a baby, you end up just yeah. Like well, you starting just, to
0: store weight like a bear.
1: Yeah, so yeah. Like well, you had a baby like in the penumbra of the well, your wife had a baby in the in the in the penumbra of the pandemic. No, which means, I did. It was a it was an
0: Arnold Schwarzenegger
1: type. Yeah, situation. it was a whole thing. I yeah, agree. yeah, exactly right. So that's just that's how it is. Um, and that's that were makes it harder. Ref- yeah.
0: Were you referencing with uh, good
1: morning, good afternoon, good night? Was that? What oh god what's I've been thinking about the K. Truman show lately that's been it's definitely yeah, on my mind yeah. uh it's definitely on my mind I've been thinking about the Truman show lately um I mean it's a really good movie I don't know why in particular like um late 90s early 2000s work work of like um observational fiction um and like philosophical fiction is like on my on my mind but um maybe it's all the cameras installed in my room i don't really know but um i don't really know (laughs) i mean i feel like um i mean if i started telling you about them you would think oh this guy has like paranoid psychosis which i don't because if somebody actually is filming your every move and reporting it to the government that's just um i'm just talking i'm just i'm just talking you know just telling as they as as, i'm just telling things the way that they are
0: as fellow psychotherapists often say, um, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not
1: out to get yeah, you. Yeah, which they which they probably are. So um, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but I did have, I admit, uh, I did have reasons for talking about paper at the beginning. You might have thought, did this man just want to talk about paper? I-
0: um, I assumed it wasn't completely arbitrary. It yeah.
1: was not. It was not completely arbitrary. Um, I mean, there were many nouns I could have chosen to speak about arbitrarily. Um, whales, um, for instance, um, small intestines. Uh, these are some random nouns, you know. Um, yeah. I is random. All of
0: which I'd love to do episodes on. Yeah, exactly. It's a random
1: epithet. Uh, I was reading this. I was reading this German novel published in 1930 yesterday, and I discovered that um, that there's this incredible um, sort of like expression of uh, dis- either dismay and anger or of like wonder depending um um, which is exactly as much fun as it sounds kreuzeturken um and it's a portmanteau which is where you take two two words and jam them together uh it's a portmanteau of crucifix and turk um, God. and it comes
0: I from i was just gonna say i was just gonna say i bet that a German novel published in the 1930s is totally devoid of any problematic content. Uh, well, I, this, I is, this was that actually totally safe. Read. Yeah,
1: right. No, the, I mean this is this is a novel written by a a man of Hungarian descent uh, who wrote in who wrote in German uh, and was a major dissenter. And he, I mean, he died in in 1938, but like he, anyway, uh, oh, okay. um, I mean, he, okay, he's was he's, he's an amazing man who was a really cro- cr- courageous novelist and stuff. But uh, but no, it's a portmanteau of of of, of crucifix and uh, and Turk, and it started in Austria in like apropos of the turkish uh unpleasantness un, un in the 16th and 17th century and i have no idea what it's supposed to mean but there it is it's just it's just two words jammed together and they're absolutely charming um anyway listen speaking of things jammed together that are absolutely charming i want i want to talk
0: about we're interviewing a centaur today we
1: are yeah um, we are um i want to i want to bring in our host i, I, I want to bring in our guest uh Jake, you want to you want to give us a quick intro here yeah so so
0: you know we we've been wanting to get this guy for a little while on the podcast you know you talk about cool things jammed together he if they're name an art form and he's probably excelling at it and making everyone jealous as he does so um it, you can check him out through his studio righteous robot uh everybody please welcome uh, my my friend our colleague Julian Curry,
2: how you doing Julian? I'm doing very very well. Thank you for having me. This is my first podcast, so go easy on me. <laughs>
1: oh my oh, gosh seriously? fantastic this is amazing
2: yeah. yeah well I should
1: have I should have warned you then I guess maybe in advance that like uh this is actually this is actually a strip podcast um so after every successful joke you know the other people have to either take off or put on clothing you know it's, it's a little complicated but uh um, oh, I, I feel like yeah it just, I just want you to be comfortable you know in oh, the way it's going be comfortable. comfortable.
2: for once it's quite cold here and los angeles it is not sunny los angeles it is rainy mm. deluge los angeles so wow that, that, that's that good clothes yeah. rule will not work out well
1: oh gosh wow, wow. okay well this is going to be short this is going to be a short interview yeah, but <laughs> it's okay okay we'll make it work listen we'll make
0: an exception for this time maybe you can introduce uh our listeners a little bit more to what you do exactly by way of of this cool background that you have
2: <laughs> sure yes it it does include sort of an array of things uh, no so i'm uh i'm a filmmaker in los angeles i've dabbled in many different art forms and um i think that's why i'm in film because that really combines everything uh, photography for me it combines fine art illustration uh, lighting music acting um, and i love it it's um it's definitely my my favorite art medium and uh but i started out just as a kid Loving, loving illustration and fine art, sketching, painting, et cetera. Um, was trained here and there with it, but it wasn't really until like high school and college that uh, I actually got the acting bug. Mm. Uh, but f- thanks to my college, Franciscan University, not really having a focused drama program. It was just, you know, you get a, a wide array of uh education be that uh, stagecraft directing acting um design then i got the directing bug and uh i think just that aspect of world building was what really struck and that's always attracted me in storytelling is world building um i'm not really into doing uh contemporary uh, modern stuff i love time period stuff i love sci-fi i love fantasy anything that takes me somewhere else and i've really been able to apply that uh kind of fine art background to it by making my own props making my own set pieces and whatnot so that's why the paints and everything are here because i make almost everything myself um and then recently i've been dabbling in i don't know if there's really a name for it exactly i'm i'm doing Animation, I'm I'm willing to call it animation, uh, but it's not quite stop motion. Uh, It's blending puppetry and digital compositing to create a fully practical, physical animated film. That's what I'm doing. And that's why we
0: were especially excited to to talk to you, because, you know, one of the missions of this podcast is to try to uh, really put a spotlight on more obscure Art forms yeah. and and uh, more kind of diverse artists from the periphery and things. And, you know, I, I, I got to say, I mean, I've been an admirer of your short films for a really, really long time here. You. you mentioned how you're painting things. I mean, you're, you're really a, a terrific fabricator. It's I mean, on on just that level. If you were just doing fabrication, I'd be really impressed. And anybody who wants to see some of the 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 things the 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 things from times gone by that he's sort of created <laughs> out of trash cans and spray paint inexplicably yeah. you should check out the the righteous robot Instagram. But when you shifted into the cut paper animation as a medium, that's when I was really like, oh shit, this is going to be an amazing <laughs> conversation because that's that's the kind of niche stuff that that we we kind of obsess over. So talk to us about what pivoted you from more traditional filmmaking into using this incredibly fragile, yeah. <laughs> incredibly painstaking time-intensive medium
2: as, I guess, for for the time being, your, your yeah. primary medium. It looks like for the foreseeable future, uh, but we'll wow. get to that. Cool. Um, yeah, good. You know, I, I wish it was a more romantic discovery and like that I had this great story of, oh, I just started folding paper and <clears throat> that was it like any freelance anything, I was hungry for a gig. And there was a uh, documentary series, a short documentary series that was being made on a renowned Bulgarian photographer named Jaco Vasilev, uh, makes does incredible black and white photography, um, has incredible story, incredible life stories and incredible stories behind every single photograph. And he was interviewed. And since he uh, sort of escaped from this communist regime. Um, he was put into uh, labor camps at times, uh, or no, he's, I'm sorry, his father was put into a labor camp, but it, he just has incredible s- stories, but his photographs are what tell the stories and there isn't really any footage that could go with it. So I was asked, what could we do to help illustrate this story? And I thought, well, I can draw, I can make movies, Surely I can learn to be an animator overnight to get this <laughs> yeah, job. I mean, why not? I think anybody. Yeah. I mean, uh, sure. 12, 12 drawings a second. 24 if I want to be fancy. 60 seconds in a minute. Yeah, this isn't going to happen. Uh, <laughs> who am I kidding? But It's like I, I, I don't have the time. They don't have the budget. <clears throat> so I don't know. I was just Googling like a uh, black and white animated art firm art forms and i stumbled on the filmmaking of the german artist Lottie, lotte lotte who did stop motion out of the shadow puppets um they're all in silhouette and uh just beautiful beautiful work and I'm like well the stop motion is pretty tedious and again the freelancer thing kicking in that's like i gotta wrap this job quick so i can move on to the next one i don't really have the time to luxuriate in this. So I pitched this idea of like, Hey, what if I do like these silhouettes and the camera is the only thing that moves and maybe mm-hmm. from cut to cut the poses change and your brain can kind of stitch what happened in between. Um, and they went for it and it sounds so simplistic, but, uh, it, I, it really, I found it to be very effective and I could use my skills in lighting and set design to build sets, to do buildings, to build classrooms, like all these different environments that his stories took place in, um, all made out of like a thicker cardstock watercolor paper in white. And then the figures were in uh, silhouetted black and there was just this real texture, like nothing on camera was fake. It was just, and it wasn't like filming a toy set either. And that was a concern of mine of like, well, I don't really want to want it to look like I'm just filming dolls. There, there's a real artistic quality to it. And I think a, a natural evolution from that, um, from that Reiniger style, uh, and it worked and I put those away in the basement. They were packed away and that was it. I did the gig, moved on to other things. Then the pandemic happened and I was, my wife and I were making short films just the two of us in our home, and uh, had a blast doing that. But I didn't know how long that thing was going to go for. And I'm like, there's only so many stories I can come up with with two people in the same house. Um, and a competition. Uh, Adobe was holding a competition for. They partnered with the DJ Marshmallow and Halsey to. Uh, Uh, make a 30-second video of how you show kindness in the world. This was in the pandemic, and, you know, people couldn't really film too much. They couldn't go out and film a lot, and I'm like, okay. Obviously, I have film equipment. We can do something, but, like, you know, we aren't the ones giving cookies to our mailman and all that stuff, and all, all that was great, or giving pizza to the homeless, and I'm like, and I was watching submissions coming in, and I'm like, yeah, this is... This is beautiful. I love how kindness is being spread, but it's not good filmmaking, if you know what I mean. Mm, right. um, so I'm like, what do, What do we have at our disposal? I've got all that stuff from that documentary series in the basement. So literally dusted them off um, and I'm like, okay, I have some buildings. I have a little like classroom set. I've got a couple of trees. If I just make new characters, which was easy enough just to make like little silhouettes and created this through line of uh, the, the, the kind of design pitch for that song, for that collaboration between marshmallow and Halsey was a lot of yellow flowers. Um, and they gave you those assets. They gave you fonts, they gave you designs, they gave you colors. And I'm like, I need to treat this like a job. Like someone gave me these assets and said, make a music video from that. And I did. So I made, I told the story of like a yellow flower that kind of passes along through different kinds of people and different worlds. Um, 30 seconds filmed it in filmed it in two days uh edited it real quick and we ended up winning the competition and got put into their music video for it and that's when i started thinking maybe there's something and a lot of people were like oh i thought that was all digital like i thought you made that in after effects or something and i was really proud to say like no it's a hundred percent in camera like that's real lighting that's real texture um and so it was really after that again just so non-romantic just like hey one gig leads to another i'm like how do i how do i capitalize on this like a lot of people wanted more and then that's kind of when i started experimenting and iterating like how how can i make them move now i think i've capped off like the whole camera movement thing how can i make them emote how can i make them blink how can i make them talk um so i wrote a short film it's called gruff uh it's based on kind of my experiences with my dad uh before he passed away um that sounds really sad and a downer uh but it's it's ultimately a story about love and how to um how to live with and interact with someone who is not very verbal about their love who definitely does have it but is not as communicative and i mean i'm hispanic my dad was mexican but from what i hear this is a very universal thing with dads any culture it's just that kind of and it's a generational thing too that gruffness um and how to uh really emotionally connect with someone like that so i got the script and started on this journey that I'm still in the middle of right now to finishing this short film that is in full color has full texture. Um, the characters can talk, the characters can move and I'm digitally removing, uh, the wires or puppet rods to it so that it looks like a 2d animated film. Um, but is really 3d fully physical, fully practical. Um, I guess you could call it 2.5 D. So I, <laughs> <laughs> then I just started posting about it on TikTok and Instagram and it just blew up. Like nobody had ever seen anything like that. I'm like, I- I've been working on this the last couple of years. This is not a surprise. Th- this is not new to me, but posting it, I was like, oh, wow, people really haven't seen something like this. It's it's really like uh people want to see more, so I started posting more behind the scenes uh, and then a friend of mine talked me into starting a goFundMe to finish the film because it, it was a personal project no one no one 's been paying me to work on this um i've been taking side gigs all throughout, but um that goFundMe has ended up doing really well and i'm um, i'm planning on taking the next few months maybe five or six to to finish that short film and share it with you all
1: phenomenal um you you you've touched i mean they said there's a lot there for us to unpack but like um, yeah, sorry that was really you, you did, really long no, no 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 that's no that's no, <laughs> right, that's that's exactly what we want that's 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 fantastic i just saying um i think the first maybe thread i want to pull on is actually because you you just you pressed on exactly uh, a button that i that i had designed for myself and wanted, really wanted to ask um which is that um you know, because I, w- I was trying to think of like similar things, relatively similar things to your work that I've seen. Um, and, you know, everything I was coming up with was like various forms of stop motion, you know. Mm-hmm. So either like, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of claymation Christmas specials from like when I was a kid or um, yep. or, you know, like whatever early South Park episodes, obviously, because like we're talking paper here.
2: Exactly. Um,
1: uh, but then I was I was thinking more about it I was realizing, like, I actually can't think of. um I can't think of anything I've seen that's this sort of like fully modeled, fully, fully, like you are saying, this sort of fully, fully realized physical world that is like filmed with the camera and with the camera in motion, but the, but the paper still being essentially paper moving as paper does, you know, mm-hmm. um, just augmented by um, like advanced puppetry techniques, basically in part. Um, so I, so, but I, I guess I just want to press, press on that a little bit more, which is like to what extent Are you, is there a heritage here that you feel like you're, you're drawing on or that you like, uh, like, is there, are there other people's knowledge that you, that you're borrowing from that you can use? Or are you like, are you forging every tool to (laughs) strike every blow
2: on the anvil or, or where are you? You know, I, you know, it's funny that you, what was that word of like the mashing up of two things that you said Um, earlier?
0: how portmanteau (laughs) portmanteau Portmanteau. yeah portmanteau yeah
2: does does that only apply to words like when you mash two words together or can that be ideas and i can be ideas yeah 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 okay so i i I think that that's really my bread and butter uh in art in general like i love i love the concept of the mashup. um i think that's where the best art really happens um be it music be it food you know chicken waffles yes uh (laughs) country mexican chinese
1: food which is a big which is a big
2: deal in new york city mexican chinese food i think like i don't understand this but there it is in la too um okay yeah sure and i i I love i think that with any art form when you just start playing with that and it's like alchemy like something totally new is really going to happen and um and i love doing that so i don't necessarily attribute anything i do to I'm, I'm somebody who's mashing things together. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't invent puppetry. I didn't invent paper art. Um, but I think that I'm combining things that haven't been combined to this level before. Um, mainly using, uh, you know, digital compositing to create something that is not, um, dare I say, embracing its, uh, how do I say this? A, a lot of practical filmmaking. There's like, there's a jank to it uh, or like, you know, the, to the stop motion. And it's like, and it's cute because of that. It's like, Oh, they're really like sticky as they kind of move around. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. or I remember like Ardman talking a lot about how they would
0: intentionally leave the, the thumbprints on Wallace and Gromit and stuff yeah. to give it that tactility. Oh and wow. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. And I think as audiences, we, um, I, I, I think that the, the fingerprints are, totally an aesthetic uh decision and and i love that and i appreciate it but and and they're a major studio but um you know i've been to a lot of film festivals where there's animated films and there's like a kind of forgiveness or you kind of like give them a lot of slack because it's like oh you like hand drew all this like i mean it kind of looks like shit but but you but you like look at you 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 drew this so like let's applaud that and like I don't know, man. I I have way higher standards. It's like, well, that's beautiful. I'm I'm glad you did the thing. I'm glad you you did you drew this or like you know you made something with the play doh. I get it, but uh, I'm I'm always striving for that like clean sheen. Uh, you know we're competing animation wise with everyone's used to the 3D uh, Disney models, um, this, this computer generated stuff. And so if I'm going to go into practical filmmaking, I really have to bring in that state of the art stuff. Like I need to shoot this on really good cameras. I need to use, uh, I need to have very crisp, beautiful lighting. And so, you know, puppetry shadow puppetry has been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So that's not new, but I'm removing the puppet rods again. That's not new. Um, you know, a lot of the uh, Jim Henson stuff uh, has done that recently, like with that Dark Crystal movie on Netflix. Um, but, sure, you, yeah. you know, you, you say the word puppet and people think, yeah, it's Sesame Street or, you know, it's just yeah. like that, that sort of thing. And I'm like, OK, how, do, how can I evolve that? How can I push past that preconceived notion of that word? You know uh oh paper puppets or paper dolls and make something that is very tangible and and layered and textured and unique so another long-winded answer to a very simple question i'm not inventing anything i'm just trying to push my i'm trying to push my standards and i'm trying to push the standards of viewers to be like you can expect more from handmade animated films They don't have to be, and and mine are a little janky too, but there's a bit of that that I embrace, but like it can be excellent. Like we can continue iterating just because computers are around. Doesn't mean everything has to look like that. We can keep pushing this medium.
0: Well, and there is an element to, I think, every person's art where they have to embrace their own unique brand of jank, right? Sure. that's, this is sort of what, finding one style is right like i had a professor mm-hmm. in grad school who used to say like <laughs> artists find their style when they try to draw something else and they're bad at it and then everyone says oh what an interesting style <laughs> i love that <laughs> That's you know, awesome. i love that right right so like there's there's some truth to that but but i do want to juxtapose that against this this personal kind of philosophy that you're proposing of of excellence and i'm not trying to you know I don't want to make us any of us sound too, too snobbish with this. I mean, there, there is a a virtue and a beauty to just going out and creating something for creation's sake. But something I do admire about you and any artist who takes this philosophy is that you, you, you aren't okay with just stopping there. Like, like you said, you do have kind of a higher standard for it. And, and going back to the, the competition video you did for, for Adobe where, you know, you were saying, I, I think you said it, it, they were good stories, but it wasn't good filmmaking. Um, like that's that's something that's missing a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Especially coming from like a religious background, and this isn't exclusive to Catholicism, or Christianity at all. But um, <clears throat> most people are okay with the agenda or the or the 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 moral if they want to be kinder about it or anything like that, most people are okay with that carrying most of the weight. And and the art and the technique and and the the effort kind of taking a back seat. And you know, again, that's not exclusive to religious circles, but I do think it's something that we have in common that we all sort of come from that world. And I'm just curious, I mean, it's easy to say like, oh, I hold myself to a higher standard, but where do you think that comes from for you and, and how do you, I guess, kind of a, a second question, this is gonna give you a really long answer, but that's okay. <laughs> like the second question I have in that is, how do you hold yourself to that excellence without it becoming oppressive to you or snobbish or like breaking you in half with pressure or any of those kinds of things?
2: That's a great question. I think that the, the impulse to hold myself to that excellence is purely from insecurity. <laughs> <It> just <laughs> got to be real like solid yeah it, it just like being competitive or like i mean you know there when there was an art competition in kindergarten it's like I, well i want to win that so i'm going to work the hardest not because i wanted to make beautiful art necessarily so i think way deep down there's just this drive to like i want to be better and i want to work harder i uh, that's that's the primal answer but uh the uh evolved answer um is uh that you know we only get one life and i believe that god has put whether they're gifts necessarily in my heart like god has put uh these desires to this attraction to art that only i can foster only i can hone you know that's not that's not given to me at birth even though my mother would tell you that um she has held on to every drawing i've had and many ah. of them are Aww. are so terrible but what what's present is like wow i drew a lot it, i mean my mom took me to holy hours um very very often and well at first they were as a child it felt like torture once she allowed me to bring my sketchbook That's really where I could just iterate and iterate and iterate and iterate. And I was drawing saints. I was drawing the crucifixion. I was drawing all these things like, and again, not great, but it just, it was quantity. And I think that goes into your second question where I, what stops it from getting oppressive? I don't linger very long on any one thing and try to make that perfect. I do have a high standard. I do want it to be as best as I can, but I know when that limit has been reached, I'm I'm able to say, yep, that's my best, moving on. And then the next time it's gonna get better. I recently saw, um, I quote this, uh, there was a pottery class somewhere, I don't know. Uh, and the teacher divided the students into two groups and said, each of you are going to be graded differently throughout this semester. One of you is going to be graded uh, on. On the quantity of pottery that you put out this whole semester. So if you produce 50 pounds of pottery, you get an A. 40 is a B, 30 is a C. Um, so the more you do, the higher grade you get. The other group was focused on the quality. It says make the perfect piece of pottery can you guess which one advanced more and learned more it's quantity quantity.
1: absolutely yeah
2: yeah because if you don't allow yourself to make mistakes uh if you don't not stop and move on if you don't like call it and move on to the next thing you will never learn from that last thing so if you linger for so long and that's such A pet peeve, especially here in L.A. There's so many talkers. There's so many people who have this this screenplay that they want to have made. And like, oh, dude, it's going to be like the next American classic. It's like, yeah, well, where is it? Ah, And I I can identify with that because I was that when I first moved out here, too. You know, I had this grand lofty idea for this thing. And uh, that wasted years of my life rather than iterating and practicing. So... Mm that's when i started making short short films you know a minute to two minutes in length and it's like okay this one can be weird this one can be uh i it just allowed me to make mistakes that's the negative way of seeing it but it actually helped me improve rather than working on one thing for many years i just did more and more and more and more and that really helped to dull that sensation of like everything has to be perfect for me it just has to be my best and that's it yeah um and once you hit that okay then you can move on go to the next painting go to the next piece of music um go to the next art form if you want to uh just keep moving
1: yeah you know that's that's a really interesting like that so what that what that brings to mind for me is um so like <laughs> okay monet claude monet everyone knows monet okay fine great but like the funny thing about monet is that when he was like 13 years old um he was his little french towns um like prodigy caricaturist he was this like legendary maker of like you know the kind of like late 18th night ni- and and then into the 19th century um characters like political type characters that you see and like they're like in the boring sections of museums that nobody goes to you know where like people with big heads and they have like little butterfly wings and it's, it's like they <laughs> usually like political commentaries or whatever 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 my favorite parts of museums, yeah, and the best yeah. part of museums that that and like the dumbass furniture i mean that and the wonderful furniture sections which i love um
2: <laughs> and um
1: I uh, okay. So, but, so he was, he was just, he was really, 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 really good at this. And he was like 13, 14, 15. I and mean, he was like a kid, you know, and, uh, and he was producing these like amazing quality caricatures, um, in this kind of like pen, pen and paper, um, uh charcoal paper charcoal and paper style that was like s- simplistic but like really really like the best versions of this anybody had ever seen um and like you know so like the town mayor would like get his character done by like a little kid monet and like and it was and it was all really great and everybody loved it um and he was doing this all the time so you so there's like we have we have a ton of these still remaining actually of like these kind of basically what you're describing like these sketchbooks of these like continual iterations of like different kinds of caricatures and caricatures and caricatures, and caricatures um where you can tell he was just, he was just playing around and he was, a kid he's just playing around you know and but then he was also making in the end like a fair amount of money by doing this because he was just like first he was a prodigy but then like but then he was like actually could you make my character because you know i want one um so there's this weird but 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 the point with this is that there's this weird thing um where like now when you see these caricatures in a museum um and i happen to have the privilege of being able to go like a an exhibit of his caricatures at one point um There's this weird kind of like breath, like holding your breath moment where you feel this weird pressure to like an alternative future or like an alternative past where like, what if, what if like 16 year old Monet had just been like, Lock it down. Like I'm gonna just like lock in this mode for the rest of my life. Like I'm making money. I'm. This is great. You know. I'm just gonna like lock into this character thing. There's a whole career of caricaturists, um, many talented artists and these kinds of things, that could have just been his career for the rest of his life, and he would have died probably a, re- a relatively prosperous and maybe even wealthy man. Um, and no, literally nobody would know his name, um, in the 21st century. But in his own period, he would have been famous and successful, um. But something wild happened, right? Which is like that that like in this constant, like iterative process, um some sort of like total jump, like there was an invitation to like something totally different, um, that wasn't actually possible except for this like constant iteration of this of this other art form. And then like suddenly basically he had this he had this thing of like, well, what if I did what we're gonna call like impressionist style painting? Um, mm. That like gradually develops and then sort of explodes, and everyone forgets that there was ever this characterist Monet, including Monet. Um, and like we have Shazam, like French Impressionism. Um, so there is this about like I, I just want to like underscore and emphasize that because I think that's such a beautiful thing what you were saying about that that like um, you do these things and you do these things and you do these things and then like in some in sometimes in ways that seem like causally unrelated. Um it, there can be like this invitation in life to accept this, like, or to press yourself or to like move into something that's like a quantum leap, you know, that seems to, have to be totally unrelated to what came before. But in fact, is actually only really made possible by the thing that came before and by being to like open to something new. However, that might might eventuate. Um, yeah, so yeah you know so i just like it's it's just interesting because, in your own experience like there is some there is something of this you know so it's like again, you could lock down and like you'd lo- you could like lock in as a as a a video filmmaker and like and be comfortable with that but like along and you know you're developing your techniques and that's fantastic and then like along the way comes this invitation to something totally new and like yeah. you've accepted it, and it's making fantastic work
2: i i think the the word that keeps um ringing a bell in my head is that invitation. And I think a lot of people can um, see that as life kind of presenting those opportunities. But uh, as far as what spiritual connection I kind of see in this, I, I see I've seen it in life and I've seen it in my career. And with work is that uh, whether you believe it's God or life itself opens some certain doors and I am very well versed in trying to open doors that are not for me, um, or are just very narrow doors or they're locked. They're not going to open just yet. And I have forced it and forced it and forced it again in life and in work. You know, I, I was pursuing acting for a while and I was, come on, man, I got to make that work, make that work. those doors aren't, aren't opening as, as much as you want them to, but the second i started walking through the doors that were starting to open they just more doors started opening after that and i think that that you have to be in touch with that as uh, as a person and as an artist to allow yourself to stop struggling and to don't try and make something work that just isn't um obviously working hard be disciplined not every door is going to be easy to walk through but it's weird man i i just feel like certain doors have just opened and been like okay this this is here i'm not forcing you to walk through it and when i have abundance is on the other side more opportunity more fulfilling work um when you just see what it's it's so ethereal it's so hard to to explain but i'm sure i'm sure each of you has had what you were calling the invitation. You know, you can even call it vocation, the call. um it's it's a decision you have to make, but there was an invite that was put out there.
0: I'm really. I really want to be able to pivot the conversation soon into talking about the the tech, the specific techniques you're using with cut paper and the limitations and the sure. successes of it and all those things. But before we get to that, I mean, I just want to hit on something that I think is really important, that it's a struggle for a lot of artists that you're you're really touching on, which is that a lot of the time when you are having that kind of posture of of yes towards these different doors being opened You know, you end up as you have wearing many different hats, and in the sort of SEO-powered version of the art world in which you and I, the three of us, currently exist, that that can be a really frustrating thing, right? Because other people are very eager to label the kind of art that you do. I mean, in case in point, just just for myself, right? Like, I have um, theme park design buddies who when they introduce me to people will be like, Oh, you know, Jacob used to be a psychotherapist and then he had a career change and is now doing art in the theme park world. And it's like, no, I've always tried to do both. Like this is always both. Right. Or, or, you know, people will say, Oh, he's an illustrator. And then get mad when I post, you know, a a branding package that I did for some company or whatever. Right. Hmm. And like people are very eager to sort of label what your portfolio is. And when you do more than one thing, it like, it weirds them out because it weirds the SEO out. You know what I mean? It's hard to just throw all that on the business card. How do you personally balance just being Julian or being Righteous Robot and not being a graphic designer, a illustrator, a
2: filmmaker? Oh, man, that's tough. I, I You know, I've gotten lucky that the doors have just kind of opened themselves and I'm, I'm not having to go to knock on them and say, hi, I am a blank um the times when i really have to come up against that is mixers cocktail parties that, just answering the
0: the, net, the networking yeah, events yeah
2: answering so what do you do i'm like well
1: <laughs> so have you ever heard of paper <laughs> I,
2: honestly i have to think of just what did i do today and that's it, it it's a conversation starter i'm like well today i was making oil barrels out of rolls of paper. Uh, today, I was animating for a documentary. Today, I was doing this. Um, I never say artist, just because I that can be so pretentious. But I mean, this is all art. Um, I generally just say filmmaker. I'm an artisan. I'm a <laughs> yeah. craftsman. I, I think filmmaker kind of allows me to encompass all those things. And then I let the job or the person kind of figure out more from there. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, every job has different needs and I can bring, uh, I can bring various skills to that job, to that assignment. And I kind of let the job dictate, uh, uh, what I, what I can offer and bring to the table. So, you know, I, I make my own films in my own time, but when I'm, on another job, you know, I don't have say on the edit or as much creative as much in like the final product. It's like, okay, my, my stuff is just a piece of that final product. um, And I will, I will offer what I can. So I, I always allow myself to have my life experience, my various skills, just as tools in my tool belt. And as a filmmaker, as a freelancer, those are, at the client's disposal should they need them you know my my experience in this my insight into that um so yeah i just see them all as oh the the fancy way would be different colors on my palette (laughs) that it's like (laughs) these are things that can help bring your piece to life and that i can bring to the table
1: that's
0: great. So with that in mind, let's talk about the stuff that you're actually physically bringing to the literal table in in terms of of these these pieces of cut paper that you're working with. Talk sure. us through like the actual process of of this from beginning to end when you're starting to work on maybe let's you know not not a full short film cuz that's, you know, that's more time than we have, but like when you're actually, you know, the building the sub components or whatever, what, what's the process you're bringing to that both, both technically and, and, and also spiritually and, and, you know, in terms of ideation and and all those kinds of things.
2: Sure. Um, I'm definitely figuring this out as I go. I uh, never claim to be an expert in anything. I'm just iterating. So the, the, the methods that I've used, in this short film gruff that i'm working on right now it's probably going to be five ish minutes long okay. and i've completed uh, about a minute and a half of it and my techniques and approaches have changed f- since the first scene to the last scene um mm. you wouldn't quite know because what you see is staying the same but uh i've streamlined build processes i've streamlined my post-production processes um i've learned a lot more my my gear is making it easier for me um so again what what you see shouldn't change there's a cohesion um that remains throughout but there's no there's no one way yet that i'm doing things literally scene to scene like uh, it was really hard to like puppeteer or someone like by putting my hand through this window and like doing this, like my arm got really sore. So the next time I do that, I'm just going to take that whole wall down and add it in later uh, in post production. It's like, okay, that just makes my job easier. So it's, it's kind of its own evolving beast. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but simply speaking um, at this point, there are uh, these handmade metal skeletons that i use um that uh basically act as the like the whiteboard where you can magnetically place things on on top of so i used to make these paper puppets only out of paper where the mechanics were even made out of paper like the neck was made of paper and that paper neck had to hold up a big paper head Mm. and that was starting to really um that was not sustainable and those figures were deteriorating after you know one day of puppeteering so that quickly iterated to okay the paper has to be the aesthetic and anything behind it is what really has to do the work so that's when i uh, moved into making uh, these metal armatures that were the clothesline that you could just put the faces on put the clothes on
0: and Um, you're making those yourself the metal armatures you're, you're
2: welding all that shit uh, I'm not welding. It's just cutting them. Like, you know, you get a good pair of tin snips and it's like cutting wrapping paper. Um, oh, really? Okay. All okay.
0: right.
2: Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you get these sheets of, um, I think it's like 26 gauge steel from Home Depot or something, tin snips, and you just make thin strips. I have like a metal puncher, screw them together, um, just nuts and bolts. And um, what's really cool about that approach is that And I'm kind of borrowing from the stop motion world as well. And a lot of uh, like Leica and Aardman and stuff post so much cool behind the scenes footage for a lot of their films that I just, oh man, I, I drink that up. And what's cool is that you can like loosen and tighten certain joints. So if their legs have to be like totally mounted to the ground but you know this arm is what's doing the emoting since now i have those on nuts and bolts i can loosen the wrist to be super flexible the Uh elbow to be a little bit more a little bit more rigid and then the shoulder to be the most so that i can get this kind of motion if i attach a rod here but the rest of the body can stay still whereas if if everything was made out of paper everything has the same like pliability which didn't give me a lot of like performance control. Um, so, yeah, the that metal structure allows for that. But also magnets have really uh, become a huge part of the workflow. Like a lot of the stop motion ones, like they they screw them into the ground, which is great. That's very uh, secure. But um, the ground of all of my sets, I take one of those sheets of metal and it's I, I use that as the ground, and then put like the textured, whether it's a carpet or like a wood floor on top of it. And their feet have really, 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 really strong like earth magnets on them, so I can just pop them onto the set, and they're locked on.
1: Okay, and it's easy okay. to uh,
2: move them around. And the puppet rods that I use are sometimes just like extendable uh, magnet, like it, it's for catching screws, like in the back of your uh, workshop or something. Um, but since there's metal like on the back of their hand or like on the back of their head, I can reach down into the set and kind of puppeteer them that way uh, with magnets. And that's kind of the how I'm doing it now. That might change for the next scene. I don't know. Um, Is there a particular kind of of paper you're using or, or what like
0: what are you like tactile or textile wise? What are you choosing for the
2: for the stuff that people actually see? primarily watercolor paper um just okay. the basic stuff from your average uh, arts and crafts store um that's like the strathmore watercolor paper um yeah it's just got it's got a really pretty texture when you see it in close-up on camera that um not the cross-hatched side but like the smoother side i don't know it almost looks like the pores of skin or something but mm-hmm. then i use the reverse side that has that like weave texture that watercolor paper has for if i'm doing clothes so i'll paint that and like it kind of mimics the weave of actual fabric um but then you know places like michael's or uh whatnot have like a whole paper section that have fun textures like some have glitter or um just i don't know i'm always on the hunt for papers with different textures but um the main bread and butter for most of this is that watercolor paper because it can be It can really be bent into shape. Um, it's like it's pliable, but it's still firm. Um, so that's the faces, the hands, like most of the body parts, stuff like that.
1: Yeah. I love that. There's, um, I mean, the material character of the thing itself is like shaping some of the possibilities of, of the art form. And it's like storytelling techniques. Um, which is a, which is a really interesting thing, you know, like one thing that, I mean, you, you alluded to a little bit at the very beginning, but like, you know, an obvious question for, for anybody just because everyone's so used to like, oh yeah, I, I did this like fully digital thing and then like added some, some posts, some, some, you know, paper effects afterwards or whatever, um, uh, which is not to, not to make fun of, um, Jacob does, a, does, does a lot of this stuff for our aesthetic, which is like super amazing. Uh, and I love it, you know, um, but, like, I, uh, but there you have different. like, there's different um there's different limitations that are cre- that are like creating the structures of possibility. Um, mm-hmm. and like I, I find that really interesting the way that even just like, yeah, like, what is the physical character of the paper that you've been able to find, and the way that that like these are limitations, but it's these limitations that actually create create the zones of possibility for the way for your, for your expression for like the expression of your mode of, of the mode of art that you're using. Um, I don't know. I would love like, that's just some initial reflections from just thinking what, from what I've seen, from what you shared on your Instagram, like why does this impress me? Like why is this obviously different than something that's been digitally, digitally generated, um, or whatever. Um, I'd be a little curious about your own thoughts about that, like about um, just sort of like, what do you feel like um, even that just the very, I mean, literally tactile physicality of like, well, you use, you use this paper with this kind of nap and this kind of weave. Um, mm-hmm. Like how, how do you, how how are you aware of that opening up or limiting your storytelling ability or your emotive ability, your acting ability for, 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 for the work that you're doing? Well, I think,
2: Jacob you were talking earlier you the a professor I think you said in grad school saying that like when you yeah. copy uh, <laughs> copy someone's
0: style, yeah you, you find your style by copying someone
2: else's poorly yeah and then everyone else is like oh wow look at that style it's like well I guess that's <laughs> yeah. that's me now <laughs> yeah
1: what a style
2: that is totally the <laughs> mentality for this project because I I look, I look at these studios that create the beautiful stop-motion work and they 3D print every single facial expression, you know, 12 3D printed masks per second that controls. Man, look at that, the range of expressions that they can do and like the camera moves that they can achieve. And even in the building of these puppets, it's like, well, they're not fully 3D. It's like that 2.5D. Because um, like I, I kind of round their faces a little bit so that you can catch light. And there's some, some real shadows. It's not just like a drawing that I'm putting on camera, but starting out, there was so much insecurity of like, Oh, I'm so limited. Like, this is cool. And this is before I showed anybody anything while I was still just sitting at this table. Like, what am I, what am I doing? Is this dumb? Like has anyone done this before? I don't really know. Just folding things, looking at how they behaved in the light and, for example, like with hands, I'm like, well, the hand is such a complicated thing. And, you know, I've got, I had some, um, some like dolls and references when I was storyboarding the whole thing to like pose them. And I'm like, I wish I could like, look at the hand of this action figure that I was using as reference. Like how, how easy would it be to like, just have an action figure hand for these figures? Like it's fully 3d and I can get that full. So the, limitations that i felt the most were that lack of depth and that lack of uh, dimensionality that i worked really hard to work that depth into layering what the eye saw what the camera saw and accentuating that with like really nice lighting showing like okay there is yes this is paper but there's so many layers to it even within the face like working from the outside, like the lips are one thing. Then it's the face. The nose is a separate piece, but then that's cut out. And there's an eye plate behind that. And if it's a female figure, there's eyelids that have to go behind the eye plate, but the eyelash has to go over the face plate and engineering all these layers to be like, all right, yes, it is flat and it's paper, but I'm really going to try and push and get as many layers as possible through it. Um, And so that, that amount of iteration came from my insecurity with the limitations because I was so uh, frustrated. Like, I just want to pop this hand off the action figure and put that in the movie. And when I was in the early stages of all this, like I, I made, um, I definitely like sit from toy story. I've always, uh, <laughs> been like taking toys apart and stuff. And I had this toy collection that, like I said, I was using to kind of like, to help me illustrate the the storyboards for this short film and the heads I made out of um, uh, clay, like the baking clay, like just so I could see like sculpey. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I could see what they looked like in three dimensions and do a turnaround and stuff and holding that. I'm like, how, how much easier is it to just have an actual three dimensional head? Like, because, because my character's, if they have if they turn completely to the side like the illusion is broken so my front facing puppets can only do a little bit like this before i have to, u- to make a whole nother puppet that's in profile so i'm like Ugh, that's like three times the work i need a puppet that's facing this way i need one that's facing this way and i need one that's front maybe even some three-quarter ones so i'm like uh this is is this a silly solution, like it would be so much easier if it was one three-dimensional head that I just puppeteer to do that. And it turns out that people really dig this 2.5 D thing and like that, that flatness and depth like is what makes this unique. These aren't, it would be so much easier to animate an action figure that is fully 3D and they sell like doll clothes and all that stuff like in that scale and I'm like oh my gosh I could order uh furniture pieces I can order plants that are in that scale like it would be so much easier for me but if I decided to go down that path maybe people wouldn't be as like emotionally invested into it because it's just dolls and action figures on a set and there's nothing wrong with that but like I accidentally stumbled into this. Well, I guess I have to make every freaking blade of grass in this movie. If there's a tree in the distance, I need to make that tree. And I need to put the same like love and attention into a book that is on a shelf in the background of a shot as I do to the eyes of the main character. And that's a lot of work and it's exhausting. But now I, I'm i realizing that that's what people dig about It's like nothing is store bought. On camera every single thing is handmade the wood on the floor is hand cut strips of crepe paper everything is handmade and again that was accidental that came from me (laughs) lusting after these incredible 3d shapes that uh leica is doing um and aardman has done being like man that must be so nice to not have to do a whole new puppet just to do that but it's kind of become its own style now. Like you said, Jacob, I I do think
0: your success, and this is just purely theory on my part, but I, I do suspect that your success is part of a larger kind of zeitgeist movement towards uh, what I, what I'm douchely calling kind of a renaissance of tactility. Oh, I hope so. Because, yeah. Because, well, because like, Especially with the advent of AI, which, you know, Brother Gabriel and I have been talking for a while about how do we do an episode that even begins to tackle that. But mm. especially with that, you know, you're seeing that digital art is becoming more and more populist, right? Like it's easier and easier to do. I mean, even with the the sculpture references that you're talking about, I mean and this is no knock on on you know studios like Leica I mean they're doing incredible work but you know in theory if you got enough money anybody can buy a 3D printer and then just you know mm. kind of get models online and and you know start printing right so so the ability to kind of create is becoming more and more proliferated and more and more populist and so things that are just oh I'm actually doing this all from scratch by hand I think are going to become and are actively becoming much more sought after because they they stand out more they're they're obviously harder to achieve right um and they might not look quote unquote better but that's what makes them um more interesting do you find that i'm trying i'm trying to find the right words to this question but do you find the the tactile i mean you you said you hope so is the tactility of this part of what attracts you to to what you're doing here i mean is that is that part of the fun for you that it
2: isn't that clean anymore totally uh yeah i have have so many thoughts on that uh because in that iteration period where i was like oh i should the figures just be sculpy like heads and should i order clothes and all that phase two was okay i'm going to hand paint all uh, watercolor paper, um, like all my turnarounds, all my angles, scan them into the computer and rig them in the computer. So they were all still going to be hand done illustrations. But um, I actually had committed weeks to doing it that way, thinking that I was going to bring all the elements and layer them in the computer. you know, so the joints would be digital joints. So I, I drew forearms, I drew hands, like all these different angles. So I thought, well, that's bringing the, uh, the illustrative quality that I want to it. And I did, I didn't even do a motion test. Uh, there's, there's a scene that uh, in the short film that shows a bunch of photographs on the wall so I have to go in and make every single one of those and even when I was just layering the the faces and the combining the joints and this and that to make those photos that are in the background I was like man this is not this is not giving me what I thought even though these are all handmade like a scanner, blasts the image with light like there's no depth to it and you know in programs you can cast like shadows and make it look like there's an edge and all that stuff I mean but I'm like it's already I I lost something when I scanned it Mm. Um, and so I cut one of those faces out and that's when I kind of had that eureka moment and and I bent it and I'm like oh wow look at how it catches the light this is the thing that has to be on camera it's not about scanning them i need to make fully layered puppets i guess and do it in camera because the way that the light is capturing these is so much better than anything i could learn in after effects um and then obviously that just tickled my love for practical filmmaking and i'm like Oh, I'm going to be so proud to say that everything that you see on camera exists in the physical world. I still, again, have to do a lot of compositing. Like I said, that one time where I like fly away a wall so just so my hand can get in there. But when right, I yeah. when I put that wall back in, that was a photographed wall. That's a real wall. There's nothing artificial about that. And as far as how it pertains to paper, what I have found to be an asset is that like paper is something that we interact with pretty much on a daily basis whether it's on in your mail what your starbucks cup is made out of your napkins uh paperwork at work like more so than even clay you know i haven't touched clay since i was a kid really like play-doh or plastic or i i guess i made those uh plasticine heads uh, or uh, those clay heads but um that's not something that people really have lying around too much so Mm -hmm. as far as paper specifically goes it's like oh wow that's made out of the stuff that i interact with every day and there is a beautiful i oh i could do that quality about it i've never knocked the experience of walking into even a, a modern art Gallery and people being like, oh, pfft, I can do that. I say that and then I go home and I do it. And then I have that art in my house for not $10 million. I like I, that. I, that's I, awesome. That's awesome. There's yeah. there's a beauty in seeing something like the Sistine Chapel and being like, nope, I can't do that. Uh, <clears> and there's a respect and a reverence for something like that. But I also like looking at things and being like, ah, I could probably do that. And then doing it. It's it's really fun. And I think that that is what has always attracted me in just filmmaking in general. You know, that peaked in the like mid to late nineties, early two thousands kind of ended with Lord of the Rings in my opinion, um, of just like, Oh wow. That's like real armor. Like I can reach out and touch that. Like that's a real orc in a prosthetic mask. Like I'm watching a filmed event. Of course it's all fake, Mm -hmm. but like I am watching a photographed event. Um, I can reach out and touch it. And with all this being paper, I think people, these are complicated. I I won't say like you can just easily pick it up and do it, but some people have tried and they've sent me like replica puppets of what I've done. And I'm like, that's when, you know, it's, it's striking. That's when you know you've hit a gold. It's like when, when a fan can, is reaching out and being like, Hmm, I can make that. And this girl in Japan sent me a video of like a replica puppet of in the movie, my dad. Um, and she was doing like the little blinking mechanism that I did. And I'm like, oh, that, that's what art is about. It's not about the gatekeeping. And that's why I'm really trying to share my process. And people ask, Oh man, you got to patent that shit. And I'm like, no, it's, the story is what's unique to me. And yeah, my approach is, I guess, kind of new, but someone's gonna take that and run with it and make something way cooler. And then I'm gonna steal that from them. And then someone's gonna steal that from them. And then we all, the advantage of that is we all get better art in the long run when we share. Um, I don't wanna go to my grave with these techniques because then they'll never evolve. Mm. So I think it's so mm. cool that people feel like they can reach out and grab it and start folding and like coloring and making paper puppets of their own um because that's how we get new that's how we get new things
1: yeah i think that's really cool and like you know one of the uh you know you were reflecting earlier about like sort of like coveting these action figure hands because they're just like because hands are just like so impossible you know um i um i i just i just read this 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 is uh novel by a um i think he's an austrian writer named thomas banhart um called the old masters and uh in it like they're one of the characters is like sitting in sitting in um the, the famous art museum here in vienna uh which has all these old masters in it you know and uh and he's this sort of like like um crotchety old guy and like he's just like complaining about all the old masters and like tearing down the reputations and one thing he says is like in this whole museum like you can't find a single person who can paint a hand he's like you will go through the whole museum you won't find a single hand you know you'll just find a bunch of like weird appendages and it's like okay um which is hilarious uh but it's great to like emphasize like just how incredibly hard hands are for like any kind of reproduction because they're just really that hard um Which is extra cool because one of these behind the scenes videos that you're talking about um, that you've produced yourself is um, uh, gives like a whatever, like a 15 second introduction to like how you you making one of your puppet, one of your hands Mm -hmm. for one of your one of your figures. Um, uh, Which is marvelous. It's marvelous to see like all this. There's like the painstaking labor and the detail and the way these things work. And of course, like, I mean, it, it looks like an like a puppet hand, you know, like a drawn puppet hand. That's the whole point. It's not supposed to look, um, naturalistic. It's yeah. yeah, it's stylized. It's, 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 yeah, it's mannerized, it's stylized. It's not supposed to look like a photorealism kind of thing. That's, which is great. I'm glad it doesn't. That would be creepy actually. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know what it made me, what made me think about when I saw that video and then like hearing you reflect on your own creative process and it's like increasingly kind of like crowd source or crowd shared characteristic is like um what to me that what that video made me think of was like there's this very important like general artistic and creative principle that like i hold to very strongly which is that like nothing takes as much work and is as hard and is as artificial as being natural because like those hand, like the end result of that hand looks like so natural. Like it looks so natural. Just like, oh, it had to look that way. Of course. Oh, like I it's see. got these okay. like, these like sort of the joints and the shadows and the textures. You say like, oh, that's just the totally natural way. If anybody was going to make a hand out of paper, it was, of course, <laughs> it was going to look like that. Um, but this is the result of like. For it, because that's the that's the artistic moment, like that's the connection. Whether it's like music or whether it's visual art or whether it's a hybrid medium like what you're working with, like that's where you know you succeeded is when somebody looks at it and says, "Like, well, of course, it, of course, it has to look like that."
2: Well, oh wow! Of course, it has to that's, look like that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it's
1: like taking it's
0: like taking three hours to make your hair look like you just rolled out of bed in the morning.
1: Yeah, exactly. Sure. Like, oh, I just oh, just oh, just it just looks like this it's just you know i just wake up like this you know yeah exactly yeah. like nothing. like no nothing, but there's, there's nothing is as hard as totally being natural right. you know and like i mean i like you know i'm a preacher and like and this is something i think about a lot with preaching is that like hmm. every everyone says to most many people most priests and deacons would say to themselves like well i just want to sound natural when i'm up in the pulpit and they think that means without artifice which is the falsest possible thing, because it takes oh, the most it takes the most artifice and the most skill to be able to like harness everything that a human being can can produce so with such skill um that it seems as if it just came out that way. I was like well, of course you had to say it that way, of course you had to articulate the joints that way, of course you had to draw it that way, um it's just so natural,
2: yeah, no, that's that's uh. I'm very honored that you uh that you feel that way I've, I've never thought about that as like a possible end goal um to make something look effortless i i think as someone with very curly hair jacob's uh, analogy resonated with me <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're like oh man shit takes work <laughs> um <laughs> exactly uh, no that's that's fascinating because and I think a lot of people get intimidated when they see it and are like, Oh, that's so natural. Like, of course, that that phrase that you're saying, like, of course it had to look like that. And a lot of people see that or experience that possibly by listening to a sermon, listening to a great uh, work of music and like, I could never do that. And that's why it's so important for me not to gatekeep and to share that. Like I am still figuring this out. Um, the hands in the first scene were not made that well, but now I can do it really quick and easily. Um, and like it, it is a process. And the only way that you can get to that natural, like, Oh, I woke up like this (laughs) kind of thing is by practice and, and playing and experimenting. Um, especially, and I, I know you guys talk about art, uh, a lot and in and in various forms so i think that this applies to everything um kind of going back to that smashing things together uh mentality that we were talking about earlier um but also that sense of play like just try it yeah try it upside down try it in that like god-awful color because it might work try that weird texture um try that dissonant note Uh, when, when you approach things to just confirm your own bias, whether that's, you know, politically, culturally, and in this case, artistically of like, well, I just want the hands to look like this. You will only ever seek out work that confirms your ideology. But if you're okay, putting things like turning things upside down, you have no idea what you can discover. And that, that was that moment for me of taking all these scanned images that I had done, cutting them up, bending them and being like, there's a strange beauty to this. And I never would have done that if I had kept forcing that closed door, that locked door, it's like, "Mm, this isn't really working. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it work. Cut it up, fold it, uh, turn it upside down and something beautiful might be waiting for you on the other side. that's that open door. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. I, um, uh, as always, um, even thinking about the absolutely cutting edge, like brand new stuff that you're doing, um, makes me think about the 13th century. And, um, one of, (laughs) one of my favorite early Dominicans, a man named Humbert of Romans, uh, he was not Roman, but he was from Roman. Uh, uh he wrote he wrote this uh, important treatise on pre-Dominican rhetoric right? this with a like, great treatise on preaching uh in like the 1250s and in it he says like he's like why isn't he's like all of all these young all you young Turks like you don't want to um everyone wants to be a great preacher but they suck and why is that and he says because like he says nobody <laughs> learns latin except for making it by making a ton of mistakes. So nobody can be a great preacher unless he makes a ton of mistakes and is willing mm-hmm. to keep falling and then eventually become good. And like I think this is just a thing more broadly considered, you know. Um, and with that, I feel like I could I could sort of dig into this um, sort of all day. Um but I want to I want to kind of bring our time together to a close. Um, what we'd like to do in sort of re- in reflecting on this is to um, actually point to exactly the thing that uh, that you were talking that you've been talking about, which is that this is not just that you know Julian Curry is a brilliant guy, not just that he's whatever some sort of genius with paper, uh, but that that this thing that you've discovered that like is drawing your love and is drawing your time is also an invitation um, to. Each of us, like to me, to Jacob, um, to our listeners, to sort of dig into these things themselves, to like to have that freedom to iterate and iterate and iterate and iterate, to like allow themselves to discover, to hear the invitation, um, to like recognize where an invitation isn't uh, and to to see an invitation and be willing to follow it where where it might actually be and to have the courage to actually see where that's see where that's going to go with all of its labor and all of its arduousness. So um, so I'd say for everybody who's listening, um, definitely check out Julian Curry, um, check out his, his Instagram at, at righteous robots. Um, check out this amazing work, uh, that he's doing. Um, check out this awesome GoFundMe, um, uh, gruff. Yes. Gruff yeah, GoFundMe, um, uh, which is almost its goal. So just push it over, push it over that last little limit. Um, but above all, like, um, Think about the things that you're doing. Think about the, think about the things um, that attract your interest, that have drawn your heart, that that like make you want to just keep getting your hands in it and on it again and, again and again and again and again. And see, see where that will lead you. See, see where it will press, where you can press your luck, and what doors will open, what invitations you can hear, and what new things that you can do. So with that, go forth and create cool things. Amen. <laughs> This has been Created Things, a production of Art, Soul, and Mind,
0: hosted by Jacob Flores Popcheck and Father Gabriel Toretta, produced by Kyle Miniki and Jessica Flores Popchuk theme song by Federico Carranza. For more on this podcast and the artists featured, follow us on Instagram at CreatedThingsPodcast and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are streamed.